0: Matthew 22, we're going to be starting from verse 15 and reading uh, to the end of the chapter. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, "So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. And so they left him and went away. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, And the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. it will be a great
1: help to have that passage open. John Oliver is uh, one of those late night uh, talk show hosts in the US. And he uh, did this great interview with Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking is a famous physicist. Um. Anyway, he asks him this question, he says, "Uh, you've stated that you believe that there could be an infinite number of universes. Uh, Does that mean that there is a universe out there where I am smarter than you? Uh, To which Hawking replies, yes, and also a universe where you're funny. (laughs) Uh, It's a great interview if you want to look it up. that is just the essence of a great comeback, isn't it? Just that that perfect thing because he turns the tables on, on John Oliver, this kind of gaggy comedian dude, and he's just like, no, you are talking to the smartest guy in the world. Uh, you can't put one over him. Uh, and that's exactly what happens in tonight's passage. Uh, people come to trap Jesus. They come with the goal in mind, they come to trap him but they don't realise that they are talking to the expert in the field, the smartest guy in the room, the only one who really knows what's going on. So, where are we up to in Matthew's Gospel? Uh, We're still in the temple courts, Uh, Jesus is teaching the crowds there for the Passover and as he arrives, the city is shaken like an earthquake because of all that he's done. Uh, he's riding in on, the, on a donkey like a king. He clears the temple. Uh, and last week we read a series of parables where he nailed the Jewish leadership uh, for their false religion. He told them that the kingdom of God was being taken from them and given them. To others, given to outsiders, uh, sinners who would repent. And uh, this is what uh, the crowd's reactions have been like. <laughs> I told you there was wizardry uh, in store. Uh, so this has happened. Jesus charged in, caused this scene, and the religious leaders can't take that lying down. So they hit back and their next move is there in verse 15, the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They hit him three times with three of the curliest questions that you can imagine, Uh, politics, theology and religion, politics, theology and religion. And somehow, Jesus manages to flip all three of these questions back onto them. He doesn't just neutralise the questions, he confronts anyone who would uh, use those questions to avoid what matters most. And so we're going to step through those three trick questions and then finish with Jesus' one simple question at the end. So, question one. Politics. Uh, there it is in verse 17. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Uh, we're told it's a trap but you can tell it's a trap as well because the way they uh, butter him up at the start. Uh, we know that you are a man of integrity, Jesus. It's just like uh, just buttering him up, getting him ready. Uh, but that gives us a little window into why this question is so tricky. Uh, it's about politics. Uh, in politics, it's difficult to have integrity and they want to pin him on his integrity. Now, the situation is that Israel were under the rule of the Roman Empire and that meant that they had to pay taxes to Rome. And this imperial tax was especially hated by the Jews. It was like a loser's tax, right? Uh, Roman citizens didn't have to pay it, only the people who Rome had captured. And so the Jews hated it. Uh, They had to pay their own money to Rome for the pleasure of living in their own land. They hated it. So it's a great trick question, because if Jesus says, yes, you've got to pay it, uh, then the crowds will turn on him. Uh, They'll hate him for it. He'll be a traitor to Israel. But if he says, no, don't pay, uh, stand strong... Uh, then uh, the leaders will run to the Romans and get him arrested. And so he's stuck. Except look at his answer, verse 18. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And the reaction is like this. Can you see what he's done? Can you see how he flips that? Uh, He turns it back onto them. Uh, There's there's layers here. For a start, where did they get the coin from, right? Uh, The coin, uh, the denarius, had uh, the words, Tiberius Caesar, divine son of Augustus, written on it. Um, They weren't even meant to have it in the temple because of that uh, blasphemy written all over it. But he makes them provide the coin and he makes them give the answer. Who does it belong to? Caesar. Then give it back to Caesar. Caesar. The answer's right there written on it. Their problem is they don't know God. Their problem is they don't know God because they think that to honour God means to oppose Caesar. That's their trap, to put those two things against each other, but that's not right. Uh, Jesus explains that you honour God by honouring the world's authorities, by submitting to authorities. And the coin is the perfect illustration. He says, whose image is it? Who's on it? Well, give it back. The money comes from the emperor to pay for roads and trade and, and peace that the emperor secures. Uh, so you can pay the tax. It honours God to give due honour to the king. Now, uh, that's, there's a mini application here for us, um, to remind ourselves of that, that we we honour God by giving due honour to the king. So, if the parking sign says one hour, you honour God by staying one hour in that bay. Whose name is on the parking sign? City of Subiaco? Then give to Subi what is Subi's. Uh, If the speed limit says 60, drive 60 k's an hour. It's actually pretty simple how you honour God in that way. Christians honour God by paying taxes, updating your Centrelink, obeying the law. But there's a bigger message here. Look what else Jesus says. He says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. But what is it that we give back to God? Uh, What is it that belongs to him? Well, Caesar's image was on the denarius. So that goes back to him. But where do we find God's image? Surely that ought to go back to Him. Where do we find God's image as we look around our world? Well, He's placed it on you. You bear the image of God. You owe yourself to Him. Yourself, your life, all that you are. You owe that to the God who has put his image on you. Jesus points to the coin and he says, this coin ought to be a reminder that you belong to God. So he flips their question. They try and trap him about politics And he says, no, it's about knowing God, knowing how to honour God. Question one, politics. Question two, theology. The question's there in verse 23. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question... The Sadducees were another of these uh, Jewish sects, not as popular as the Pharisees uh, but they had the rich people, the uh, rich families and the temple priests on their side and they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses and uh, they didn't believe in the resurrection and so they tried that angle to bring Jesus undone, they tried the theology angle and they think to themselves, let's make him explain the resurrection. And so they, they give him this absurd situation. One wife, seven brothers, and they have this uh, a law of Moses that says that um, they each have to marry her after the last one dies. And they think, surely this is ridiculous, right? This is crazy. Uh, I imagine it's like what happens when someone asks you, can God make a rock that's too heavy for him to lift? That, that It's kind of this conundrum. And they think, oh, we, we've got you, Jesus. We're, we've pinned you here. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be? But Jesus isn't stuck at all, is he? Look at his answer, verse 29. Uh, Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And the Sadducees are like this. It just keeps on getting better, doesn't it? It's, uh, I need to stop it. It's so good. <laughs> Their problem is they don't know the Scriptures. Um, now, uh, that's a pretty aggressive thing to say to people who uh, were all about the, those five uh, books of Moses. And he says, you, you don't know. The problem is you don't know God. You haven't worked out that the age to come, God's new age won't be exactly like this age. It'll be different. Then we'll have a closeness to God that you guys haven't grasped yet. And the things that we need marriage for now, for intimacy, to to raise families, uh, those kind of things won't be needed into eternity because our intimacy with God and with each other, uh, that will be even greater than what we experience now. And he doesn't just answer the question, he flips it. Now, uh, This isn't just a problem of knowing your Bible. Have a look. The real problem is that you don't know the power of God, he says. You don't know the power of God. Verse 31. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, he's really drilling them, right? Uh, He goes right for the fact that they don't believe in the resurrection, and he uses uh, one of those books that they do accept from the Old Testament. Uh, It's a a bit from Exodus when God calls Moses and uh, tells Moses that he's going to rescue his people. And he says, Look, even in the, the start of the Bible, the bit that you guys accept, you can see God's resurrection power there. And it's an argument based on his promises. God has made these amazing promises to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob and he's made a covenant with them. And the whole point of what he's saying to Moses is that he's going to keep that covenant and that's why Moses can trust him now. But if God never lets go of his promises, that means he will never let go of his people because it's a sad, sad God who gets to the end and says, well, I really, really helped those people until they all died. They had an okay run though, didn't they? And Jesus says, how little do you think of God's power that he won't follow through on what he's promised? If you, can't, if you think that he won't give them uh, new life from his all-creating, life-giving power... Jesus says, Your own theology should tell you that the resurrection is real. And he flips their question and he says, "Uh, You don't know the power of God. Question one, politics. Question two, theology. And question three, religion. Uh, The Pharisees are back. Question three, and they've brought their lawyer. Uh, I. I picture the scene, it's a little bit like WWF wrestling, where a series of bad guys come into the ring and the good guy just kind of tosses them back and they come back with, you know, all their entourage. The next one rolls up and they get defeated. Uh, This guy is a religious lawyer, an expert in the commandments. And here's the trap, verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, he doesn't actually want to know this answer. Uh, he thinks it's going to trip Jesus. Because this was a legitimate question in the first century. Uh, Jewish rabbis discussed this idea, how do you sum up the law? One rabbi famously asked another one, uh, teach me the whole law while I'm standing on one leg. Uh, it, was, it was a thing that they talked about. There were 613 individual laws in the uh, Old Testament, and so a summary was, was a really useful thing. But it was also pretty risky because you know what they say, you can please some of the people all of the time but you can't sum up God's law without annoying them. Uh, if you could sum up Australia in one sentence, uh, go for it. It's, it's pretty hard to do, right? Uh, you'll leave someone or something out. But Jesus isn't worried, is he? In fact, this is perfect. This is exactly what he wants to talk about. Uh, Look at his answer, verse 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And the crowd is like this. Because he's nailed it, right? He's cut right to the heart of it. Love. He gives an answer that actually no one can argue with. The the first quote is uh, from a part of Deuteronomy that a a devout Jew would have recited twice a day, morning and evening, to remind them of their duty to the the one and only God. Love the Lord your God. Uh, But... If it was just that, uh, love for God can turn inwards. It can turn into this uh, solo quest. You head up into the mountains and uh, ignore people because you're you're on this uh, journey to find God. Uh, But God's love isn't like that. God's law involves wholehearted love for him and love for people. And so it can't ever be uh, selfish because uh, it's outward. The same kind of love that we would give ourselves. Love our neighbour as ourselves. Jesus says, uh, you can sum up the law by saying, love God and love your neighbour. Give them the same care, the same priority, the same attention that you would give yourself. See, they've wandered into the topic that Jesus most wants to talk about. He most wants to talk about how you know God, how you know how to worship him to obey him in everything. And so he wants to talk about that. Love is your guiding principle, love for God, love for people. You need both those things. Jesus says, thanks for asking, I do want to tell you how you sum up the law. So he flips their question to teach them about knowing how to worship God. They give him three quick trick questions, politics, theology and religion. Three hot topics and Jesus answers them all to tell them about honouring God, about the power of God and about the worship of God. They're trapping him and he's teaching them and after he's knocked all their questions back, uh, he asks one simple question of his own. The great irony in this passage is that this is the simplest question of all. It does not get any easier. Uh, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, uh, this question is almost embarrassing in its simplicity. I don't know if you've ever had that experience in Bible study uh, when the, the leader asks a question that is so obvious, it's almost painful, uh, the kind of feeling in the room waiting for someone to say Jesus uh, as the answer. Uh, it's that kind of feeling. The Messiah, whose son is he? And, and He's the son of David. I'm embarrassed for you that you had to ask that question. Uh, Everyone knows that the Messiah is the son of David. Everyone around would have known that. But Jesus has something new to say, something more. He says, why is there a psalm where where David talks about the Messiah and calls him Lord? You never call your son Lord. Uh, Lord means Master. It can only be someone greater. So if he's not David's son really, then whose son is he? Think greater. Whose son could he be? He takes that one simple question with the simplest answer and he reveals something obvious and yet unexpected. David speaks about the Messiah as more than his son, like the Son of God himself. That's who he is, not just David's son, more than that, the son of God. Jesus is claiming to be more than just a human king, uh, to to rule over the Jews. He's calling himself God's son, God's eternal king. And I think that checks out, doesn't it? Because what have we just seen? We've seen someone explain what it means to honour God, explained uh, what is the power of God, summed up all of God's word to show how to worship God. Here is one sent from God, God's eternal king, proving it as he teaches them how to know God. No wonder the reaction is what it is in verse 46. No one could say a word in reply and from that day, no one dared ask him any more questions. I don't have a GIF for that. Uh, they know. They know. They know you can't trap this guy because it turns out that he's God's son. So knowing God is exactly his thing. Turns out that what they said at the start to butter him up uh, was exactly right there in verse 16. Turns out he is a man of integrity and he does teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Spot on. They, they had him pegged right at the beginning when they were trying to trap him. So what does that mean for us? I think there's two big takeaway messages here for us. Firstly, if you want to know God, you need to learn from Jesus. If you want to know God, you need to learn from Jesus. He's the one to go to if you want to know God, to know what it means to live God's way, you need to learn at the feet of Jesus. And we need to hear that because there's lots of other places where we might go. Uh, There's plenty of uh, Christian pastors who would tell you that they're the place to go to, uh, to to go to them and and hear what they're saying and read their book. Don't do that. Go to Jesus if you want to know the power of God, if you want to know how to honour God. I think plenty of Christians uh, think that your heart is the place to go if you want to know God. Uh, If you want to really know how to live for God, then look inwards. Uh, Look to your heart. Don't do that. Don't go there. Go to Jesus. Read his word. Sit at his feet. That is how you know who God is, his power, and what it means to live for him. Here's a practical question about that. Uh, Where do you get your advice from? Uh, Advice about life, about relationships, about uh, what to study, about uh, where to park your car, how long to stay in that bay for. Uh, Where do you go to get that advice? Well, if Jesus is the one who knows God, who himself is God's son, if he's the one who knows what it means to honour God and to worship him, uh, then surely we get our direction from him. Surely our first step is to uh, go to His Word and see, does that tell us anything? Does that uh, give us any wisdom on the the question that I have at the moment? Uh, Do we go to other uh, brothers and sisters, people who know Jesus well and ask them for wisdom and input? Or do we take our cue from what everyone else is doing? Do we take our cue uh, from magazine advice or what? our uh, uni friends will tell us. Uh, where do you get your direction from in terms of how to live for God? That's uh, the first point. If you want to know God, you need to learn from Jesus. Secondly, if you want to test Jesus, you better change your track. If you want to test Jesus, you better change your track. Uh, Even for some who are here tonight, uh, it's uh, possible that we get ourselves into the habit, uh, into the frame of mind where we test Jesus. Uh, We're here at church or at Bible study uh, and we might even have lots of questions, but they're not real questions. They're questions we're asking to avoid taking Jesus seriously. They're like the... uh, Imperial tax question. Uh, Well, if that's you, if you are just testing Jesus, then you need to change your track. If that's you, Jesus has a question, one simple question for you tonight. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? It's a real question for you tonight. Uh, Do you think he's God's son? Do you think he has authority to say that you need to give your life to God, the one who has placed his image on you? Do you think that Jesus has God's power to give eternal life? Whose son is he? Do you think that Jesus, as God's son, deserves your love and devotion? That's the question that Jesus has for you tonight. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he?